This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn on this Mitch Marathon Month. Today, I bring you Connie Bloom of the band Electric Boys. Uh, back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, they put out three terrific, terrific albums. A Funk-O Metal Carpet Ride, Groovis Maximus in 1992, and uh, 1994's Freewheeling, and then they were gone. Just off the face of the earth, but uh, they uh, came back in 2011 with And Them Boys Done Swang and 2014's Starflight United. If you haven't heard Starflight United, you absolutely should. It was on my uh, 2014 best of uh, albums for that year. Just absolutely delightful. And uh, they are back in 2018-19 with The Ghost Ward Diaries. So... While you are checking out Starflight United on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you get your music, do check out the new album, The Ghost Ward Diaries. But uh, before getting over to uh, my interview with uh, Connie, I did on the Jeff Scott Soto episode ask folks like you to consider sending in a new theme song for the show. And I got a few submissions at uh, MitchMinute at AOL.com. People sent them over. Now, I have to say, uh, there, were, there were a couple of issues with some of them, just that I was asking for a Mitch rock, a rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn theme song, and it was either uh, random songs that had nothing to do with, with the show, or it was just uh, sort of bed music, just, uh, you know, underlying mood music. So... So let's let's keep doing. Uh, if you want to if you want to send stuff in, uh, please do so at mitchminuteaol.com, mitchminute at aol.com, I should say. But uh, let's keep uh, let let's go with something that has to do, you know, like a, a rock talk with Mitch Lafon jingle kind of thing. Now, I am going to play one for you right now from the band Blitz out of the UK. They they put together a ten second rock talk with Mitch Lafon theme song. And, uh, you know, head over to the uh, Twitter at Mitch LaFawn and tell me if you liked it or not and if I should continue using it. But you can also check out the band at blitzukbandcamp.com, blitzukbandcamp.com. And uh, here's some fun trivia. Back in the uh, wonderful 80s, I had a German shepherd called Blitz. So uh, here from the uh, UK is Blitz with the premiere presentation of a rock talk with Mitch LaFon jingle. Be right back. It's rock and shout. Hell no. Rock talk on the Mitch LaFon show. And there you have it from Blitz out of the UK, a rock talk with Mitch LaFon jingle submission. If you, uh, if you like that, head over to at Mitch LaFon on Twitter and let me know if I should continue using that or not but uh, thank you boys for sending that in and uh, before I get over to Connie Bloom of Electric Boys uh, speaking of Twitter at Mitch LaFawn I recently put up on the Twitter if you were a young fan growing up today 14 15 whatever would you prefer a world of 1980s MTV or YouTube and I meant in the sense of music accessibility, music discoverability, etc. And a lot of people 
seem to side with YouTube, and, and I get that. Totally get YouTube. It is absolutely fantastic. But looking back, in my experience with MTV when I was traveling in the States or much music up here in Canada, if it wasn't for that sort of randomness of video showing up, there were a lot of bands that I just wouldn't have discovered. Now, I liked harder rock, so would have, you know, would I, would I have still sought out bands like Metallica and Megadeth and Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and Quiet Riot? Maybe. But chances are no, because I remember specifically seeing uh, You Give Love a Bad Name for the first time and going, aha, I like that. I remember seeing Talk Dirty to Me from Poison for the first time and going, aha, I like that. I remember seeing Round and Round by Rat and going, aha, I like that. And I became fans of those bands. Now, had I been left to my own devices with YouTube, I don't think I would have discovered those bands. What would have compelled me to type in R-A-T-T in the search? I mean, absolutely nothing. So I probably would not be a Rat fan today. I probably would not be a Poison fan today, or a Bon Jovi fan, or a Metallica fan, or a Megadeth fan. or You know, yeah, I grew up on Kiss and Cheap Trick and Aerosmith, and I probably would have remained a fan of those bands, but... You know, when you look on Much Music and they play Dude Looks Like a Lady, you go, oh, Aerosmith has a new album. I'm not sure that would have happened had it not been for MTV and Much Music. Now, yes, now on on YouTube, I can dial it up like a pizza whenever I want, but I, how would I have known to go to YouTube now and look up Aerosmith to see if there's a new album or not, you know? So I, I, I think for me, it's a combination of both. You needed the, the, the much music and the, and, the MT, and the MTV to give you that randomness and go, because listen, there's also a whole bunch of other stuff on there, whether it's Cindy Lauper or Huey Lewis or, or a Bruce Springsteen song and all these great singles from, from the eighties that I would have, I'd be completely oblivious to. And there are currently, I'm assuming some great, great singles on YouTube that I have no idea about because I don't know to look for them or how to look for them. You know, you don't just randomly type in a word like Aerosmith. Now, I don't know what some of the new bands are called, but like, like just take, for example, today, we are talking to Connie Bloom of Electric Boys. And if you're in Europe and if you're in Sweden, you may have heard of Electric Boys. You may have heard of um, All Lips and Hips, their, their great single from 1990, which, by the way, uh, number 76 on uh, Billboard's Hot 100 and uh, number 16 on Billboard's mainstream rock charts back in the day. But would you know that they have a new album called The Ghost War Diaries? Would you know to look for a new video by them? Would you know, you know, would you know to look for them? And just 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 as an aside, I, I'm I'm going to say if you start looking for um, Electric Boys on YouTube, go look up their 1992 ABBA cover of King Kong song. There was a, a Swedish ABBA tribute album called ABBA the Tribute back in the day, and uh, Electric Boys did a cover of King Kong song. It's it's absolutely, and I know I, I know it's not a rock word, but it's delightful, absolutely delightful. Anyway. So let's just continue that discussion about YouTube and, and, and MTV. And I think as a emerging rock fan, you know, in your early teens, 13, 14, 15, 
it really requires someone or something to make suggestions to you, so sort of some random suggestions for you to check out. And I, and I don't think that that exists on YouTube. So yes, you can dial it up, but you, you dial it up based on a knowledge, right? You have a knowledge base. You go, ah, I want to watch Kiss. Ah, I want to watch Cheap Trick. Ah, I want to watch The Electric Boys. Ah, I want to watch Poison. But that knowledge base came from somewhere. It came from somebody or something putting it in your head. Now, yes, back in those days, uh, other than MTV, we had radio and stuff. Now, mind you, Montreal radio, where I'm from, useless. I, I mean, we, we have a station, a rock station here, <laughs> bullshit, called Shom FM, back in 1980s, useless. You wanted to hear Rat, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, they didn't play it. They fucking played the Doobie Brothers and Sticks. You know, forget it. They, they, you know, and, uh, you know, if you were in Chicago or in Detroit or in Boston or in L.A., some of the cities that I would visit back in the day, yeah, you could turn on a rock radio station and hear the latest Bon Jovi. You could hear a Metallica song. You could hear, uh, you know, Great White. But honestly, if it wasn't for MTV and much music playing the videos, a lot of that stuff wouldn't have become part of our, our knowledge base, part of what we know and part of what we know to look up on YouTube. So I don't know. I, I think ultimately YouTube is great. Uh but if you didn't have MTV, uh, YouTube, it would be hard to navigate to find new music. You would essentially be going to YouTube, looking up what you already know. So anyway, uh, that, that discussion was over on my Twitter, at Mitch Lafon, and I do encourage you to uh, f uh, follow me there. Currently sitting at almost uh, 13,000 followers, but by the end of 2019, I would love to be at 20,000 followers. So please... Head over to at Mitch Lafon. If you haven't followed it, followed it. And if you are following it, tell a couple of friends to follow it. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can get over to 20,000. Uh, you, you know, uh, it, it helps. It's funny how it helps because the, the more followers you have, the more Twitter impressions you have, the more Facebook follow, the more uh, bands and publicists give you exclusive interviews. Now, listen, I'm doing, I'm doing well with the people that I've, that I've been interviewing and, if you've been following Mitch Marathon Madness, you've heard interviews with with Megadeth's Dave Ellison and Bob Clearmount and the producer, Jeff Scott Soto, Ted Nugent, uh, this one today with Connie Blumen. So I'm doing fine with interviews, but if you get to that next level where you're an influencer or you're a media magnet or people look and go, wow, you've got you know 100,000 followers. Well, then it becomes easier to get somebody like a, a John Bon Jovi or, or a Steven Tyler or a Slash or, you know, it becomes, it becomes a lot easier. So if we can get the numbers up, everybody benefits, <laughs> right? My, my, my shameless plug for myself. Anyway, well, listen, while I'm shamelessly plugging myself, do head over to loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch. And uh, pick up one of the uh, Mitch uh, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon tees. In fact, pick up two or three. Uh, and, you know, I have a classic black T-shirt with the logo. And then I have the um, baseball jersey, the, the raglan, you know, the longer sleeves, but on a, on, on, a, on a black sort of body. And I'm thinking, you know what would be really cool? A nice white T-shirt with, with the logo. So 
Again, head over to at Mitch Lafon. Tell me if you think a, a white T-shirt with a logo would be cool. But uh, for now, let us continue Mitch Marathon Month Madness with Connie Bloom of Electric Boys. New album, The Ghost War Diaries, out now. Do check that out. And uh, Connie, take it away. We are speaking with the Electric Boys, Connie Bloom. The latest album is The Ghost Ward Diaries. And if you haven't heard that, do so. But also, I'm going to add, as a bonus, gratuitous, if you haven't heard 2014's Starflight United, my lord, you are five years behind the times because that album and and The Ghost Ward Diaries, brilliant. And you need to check out both. Um, How is that for an introduction, Connie? That sounds very good, man. Thanks for that. Yes. So, okay. We are going to take this from the Canadian and American perspective, right? So when you think of the band, you think all lips and hips from 1988, I guess, the original version, 1990 for the, for the, the single. And when you listen to Sirius XM radio, you hear it at least once a week. It comes up, it comes up. And so bands think, well, that's it. That's they're a one hit wonder and they disappeared. And of course, that's not true. Uh, you had freewheeling after that, and them boys done swang, uh, and you did a whole bunch of stuff with with Ginger from the Wild Hearts and um, uh, what's his name, Michael Monroe. But talk to me, sort of, about this perception of the, you know, sort of the difference between the Swedish market and the North American market, and why it's been maybe a little more difficult to to be visible over here. Um. Well, first of all, I I understand the the one hit wonder thing because uh, it was one of those things that uh, the song obviously really took off with MTV at that time, and it was played on every rotation, and it ended up on on the Billboard charts and everything. So, so I I know I've noticed a lot of times people don't might not know about the band, but when you mention the song, they they remember, and then. Uh, I don't know the difference. I mean, after we split the band, split up the band in '94, I think. Then, um, and obviously we were we were uh, all living in Sweden. So, and I went back here, did a solo album and stuff like that before I started working with Ginger, as you mentioned. Uh, I heard that interview, by the way. It's cool to get mentioned. But um, yeah, and then. I, I don't know. I mean, then I started playing with Hanoi Rocks, you know, for four and a half years and uh, and all the ginger stuff. But that was mainly in uh, in uh, Japan and UK. And um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, the times have changed changed everywhere. So I don't know the main difference, like what you're really asking for. But as far as Sweden or or America, well, I mean, okay, I know so... it was different when when we started because there was a. Everybody was singing in Swedish, and it was all, you know, really poppy stuff. So we always felt like we had more in in uh, in common with bands like Aerosmith and stuff like that. So we felt like we gotta get this album done, and now fuck off to America, you know, as soon as we can, <clears throat> get a management and stuff, which is what we did. Uh, funnily enough, it ended up being a hit in Sweden anyway, because I guess it was it was just good timing, you know, and a bit of luck that people was tired of that whole pop thing at the time. So, yeah. So, moving forward to 2019, you know, there there are a lot of opportunities for touring and the band has been touring all over Europe. You you've done different obviously different countries and stuff, but getting over here, 
getting to a festival, for example, like M3 or, or Heavy Montreal, what are some of the challenges a band like Electric Boys faces in terms of coming over here and touring? Because I know a lot of fans will write me and say to me, hey, Mitch, Thunder should come here. Electric Boys should come here. Gothard should come here. Pretty Mage should come here. And there is a challenge. What are some of the things that you face in terms of trying to get over here and putting together a run of shows? I think it's the the main problem is the like I said, there's there is some sort of a fan base from before, and and certainly if you do it together with some other bands, you know, like a package thing, it could be really cool. But uh, I think the main problem is just uh, simply money. You know, it it costs quite a lot to get the working permits to come over and uh, and to set something up and make it work nowadays financially. Uh, I, I think that's that's some, I mean. We certainly want to go back, you know, we'd be back, we would have been back many times if we would have given, been given the opportunity, you know. But I also think it needs somebody over there who who wants to bring us over, who can start the ball rolling and make the right connections, you know, call the right people and stuff to start it off. But that would be a dream, you know, and, and do, obviously doing the Masters of Rock Cruise was a, was a good thing and we're hoping to do it next next year we're negotiating with them at the moment good and i'll put i'll yeah. put a word in for for m3 i think you guys would be uh, spectacular but let me uh, let me talk about the band's disappearance and and coming back yeah freewheeling ends up in 94 you come back for m the, and them boys uh done swang in 2011 what what sort of compelled you to get back together? You walked away, and obviously there must have been something going on where you just said, okay, we can't do this anymore. And then you sit around, we all get a little bit older, and you say, you know what? What if we just strapped on the guitars one more time and, and brought the boys out again? Um, talk to me about that decision and, and, and what it's been like since, because it's now been eight years, three albums, the band is sounding as great as ever. I mean, if you if you go to to YouTube or you listen, you guys sound spectacular. What was that moment like and that decision? Was it we'll give this a shot and if it works, it works, or was it like okay, part two? Well, it was um, it was uh, the way I remember it was that I was coming back back uh, on the boat from Finland with Andy, the bass player, who who was also uh, in Hanoi Rocks, and we had done. A string of eight shows at um, at Tavastia in in Helsinki, which was like the last thing the band did, it was like a farewell farewell thing. And uh, and if I remember right, I asked him, "What do you feel like doing?" He said, uh, oh, you know, I, I said I, I would actually like to go back to the sort of more seventies uh, groove type rock, you know, hard rock that we that we used to play because. The way I look at Hannah Rocks was is is a band that is a bit more punky and more uh, straightforward rock and roll, if you like, which I which I love as well. But it, it's not what what the Electric Boys are known for, and also because obviously I wasn't um, the frontman in that band, which was a great luxury to have someone like Michael to to do that. But but after that many years, <clears throat> and then. Um, I just felt like, fuck, man, that that would be fun, you know, to do that again because it's been so long. And I, <clears throat> I mentioned it to Andy, the bass player, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I, I've been thinking the same thing." And 
we actually didn't think it would happen, you know, because Nicholas, the original drummer, lives in LA, first of all, and, and we were over here in Sweden, and uh, we hadn't been in co- contact with the guitar player, Franco, but well, it turned out that they were really up for it, and, you know, we all said, let's get together and, and jam and see, see what it feels like, and obviously, like I, I'm sure most bands say after a long long pause like that or whatever that nothing has changed basically same same boring jokes and everybody falls into their position you know so um yeah that that was that was the thing it was it just felt like a fresh thing again to to do that yeah and it turned out great honestly for, for folks who haven't heard i mean i know we're here to talk about the new album but if you haven't heard starflight united from 2014. I mean, that was like my top three or top five albums of that year. It is absolutely spectacular. But let's let's talk about making new music. First of all, how important is it for a band like the Electric Boys to make to make new music? And when you decide that you're going to start recording a new album like the Ghost War Diaries, do you look back and say, "All right, we need something like Lips and Hips," or do you say, "Oof, been there, done that. Let's not." start repeating ourselves you know do you have this freedom to be a creative band or not, or in fact or a new band making new music in the in, in the sense of style or are you sort of like well we can't be too far from what we were because we're going to lose the fans how do you sort of approach the songwriting yeah good question because when we when we did put the band together that first album and, and then boys done swang that was uh I thought very, very strongly that it this has to sound like Electric Boys because there, there's been quite a few reunions with bands that, that doesn't sound like what they used to. I mean, like, so to me, I'm, I'm meaning like that the fans probably would uh, would be disappointed because it's not what they're hoping for. So I was concerned that from the beginning it, it had to sound like us. So, And actually a lot of the ideas on that album was ideas that we played around with uh, 120 years ago, <laughs> and uh, but we couldn't really make great songs out of them. And then, but now when I picked up those riffs again, it was like, oh, but this is obvious. It sh- we should have just done it like this. So, but that was that album. And then the next one, like you said, Starflight United continued a bit like that, but but a bit more, maybe a bit more rock and roll or or just straightforward in some way not so much focused on the funky stuff and and i would say the last album is um we just felt like okay now we've done two albums like that and uh it's it's let's let's just uh not i mean like i said it, it can be a hin a hindrance um you know you if you if you if i mean if i will walk around and think i gotta make a song that sounds like lips and hips i i I wouldn't be able to make any music anymore. You you gotta get get rid of that kind of monkey on your on your on your back. So I think this is the first album where we actually said, "Fuck, fuck you know, let's let's just do, let's just put you know, all, out of all the songs that we've written, let's just take the best songs that we feel are the best songs and, and make a great album, and and let uh, <clears throat> and let that be, and you know." Be what we are today, right? So, so the other so, way around. So definitely less concern. Well, maybe how can I write? 
trying to write a single or trying to write another all, all hips and lip, lips and hips it was not on the on the forefront it was really about these are the best songs we have for 2018 and let, let's let's go with that um let me just quickly talk because yeah. you you said you listened to the uh, the ginger interview so quickly uh, Ginger Wildheart, for folks who don't know, uh, did an album called Silver Ginger back in 2000 called uh, Black Leather Mojo. And again, for for many folks, it's one of these undiscovered classics. That album is absolutely uh, terrific. Uh, talk to me about working with Ginger at the time, because he... he he sort of says that this is one of these albums that were wasn't supposed to happen, and you know the Japanese record company said, "Please make it happen," and then okay, it happens. Um, what was it like working with him, and and what do you sort of see uh, in terms of the Wild Hearts, another band here that in North America we sort of overlook, but brilliant, right? Absolutely fantastic. I, I actually I think the the last um, Wild Arts album is is incredible. I mean that's up there with with Black Leather Mojo for me, you know. Uh, but and also, I mean they they were doing that punky hard pop stuff, whatever you want to call it, way before a lot of bands like Green Day and. Whatever, all the you know, there's quite a few bands that that's been around like that. But uh, I just think Ginger's uh, is a, an amazing songwriter, and <clears throat> uh, obviously, like I said, he did the the Silver uh, Ginger Five album on his own, and then he, I know he mentioned this in the interview that he wanted to he he felt that no, this sounds like a band, so we should put a band together. And he got in touch with me, yada yada, and you know. And then we started touring, and um, it was great. It was absolutely, it was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, it was great for me because he sent me the album, and I had just done uh, my Swedish, I mean, my my first solo album, Psychonauts, and uh, and it didn't do that great because we kept saying, but this this doesn't sound like Electric Boy, so I'm like. <laughs> You know, come on, what's the point? I mean, I'm I'm doing a soul album because I want to do something else. But uh, and then and then he got in touch, and I before I listened, I I, I thought to myself, if this is just decent, uh, I'm gonna do it because I know that Ginger is a cool guy, and I want you know to get out of Sweden and and go on the road. And then I put the album on, and I was uh, cassette as it was, I think <laughs> as it was. <laughs> and uh, I, I was just blown away. So I, I actually, you know, came into the band as a fan. So I was, uh, I, it was great. I, I love that album. It, it's definitely it, one of the best things he's done, I think. But I, but I do like a lot of the other stuff as well. Yeah, it really is. Um, talk to me a little bit about your your time with Hanoi Rocks, uh, uh, another band that has had great success in Europe. Uh, had some mounting success in the U.S. and then, of course, we—well, I don't want to go over that negative story, but we know what happened. Uh, but yeah. what was it like getting with with Michael Monroe and doing those sort of classic Hanoi rock songs? Because when you think of a pure rock band, um, you pretty much are describing Hanoi rocks. They are—they are dialed into being a 
loud, dangerous rock and roll band. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, they moved to to Sweden in the beginning of the 80s. Um, and they started rehearsing in one of the tube stations. And um, and I remember seeing the guys on the streets thinking, what the hell is that? You know, who, who are they? They must be they must be in a band. But I mean, Michael looked outrageous and amazing. I mean, it, you would notice them everywhere. And the and, uh, first time I saw him at, uh, at a place called Studion, I think, it was the same effect that I had that that Jason and the Scorchers had at the at the very same venue. I mean, they totally blew the place apart. You know, it was such a such a fresh and cool and great band at that time when they came came around. And and um, to cut a long story short, I ended up playing with the with the original drummer Jeff Casino in a band, in a, a power trio, and. Um, we went to Finland to open up for a hundred rocks on the, on the tour there when Raffle was around and stuff. And, <clears throat> and, uh, and Andy and I, uh, got it got along really well. And, and he said, we gotta, we gotta do something together at some point. So when he, you know, fast forward now to 2004 or whatever. And when he got in touch, I felt like, yeah, let's give it a shot. I'm, I'm, I went over there to, to play with them, and I figured this might last last a year or whatever, but it would be great fun because we always talked about it. But it ended up being four and a half years. And, and um, the, we did that album, Street Poetry, together as a band. I, I co-wrote quite a few of the songs and stuff. We, it was really a band record, and, and actually a really good one, I think. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with it, <clears throat> the way it came out. And yeah. obviously it was great fun. We did lots of tours in, in um, not only in America, we went, uh, we did a lot of European tours in, in uh, Japan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and for those uh, folks who, who don't know it, uh, go check out Street, uh, Street Poetry. came out in uh, 2007. And, uh, another, you know, there's, there's a lot of great music going on in Europe that, that for some reason North America closes its eyes to, which is completely regretful. But uh, where do we go from here now that the Ghost War Diaries are out? Would, you know, you, you did sort of three years between the first one and then... Uh, I'm talking about sort of the reunion albums, and then four years between the uh, Starflight and this one. What sort of the 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 going forward from here? Do you think okay, we need to shorten that? Let's get another one out in two years, or do you think hey, you know what? We have songs, we have hits. We don't really need to to worry about the next new one because we can go play shows with with the catalog. No, no, it's not. It's it's not at all like that. We've never been nostalgic in the first place. I mean, we obviously we play the old stuff because we should, but uh, <clears throat> we were always thinking uh, ahead. And it's fun. I'm just coming back uh, from UK. I've done a tour there, and we I think we did like five or six of the new songs, and we were kind of concerned before. And there was a lot of discussions about how much new material you should play in, in the shows, but uh, it turned out really good, and fans kept coming up in the merch afterwards and saying that that they uh, really liked all the new stuff. So I think that, that's, that feels good, of course, because obviously they're up for, you know, for the new stuff as well. So always it's always forever onwards and uh, like you said we gotta we gotta keep up the, uh, 
I mean, speed up the tempo a bit. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, p- pick up I the mean, pace, in an right? Ideal world, yeah. yeah, in an I- ideal world, uh, a record a year, like in the old days, would be great, but I don't think it's going to happen. But yeah, well, maybe, the, co- um, yeah, the costs not, are a little too years. Um, as a, a principal songwriter in the band, what to you makes a good song in turn, when you sit down and you write something, what sort of is a good song and then a song that you sort of crumple up the paper and say, yeah, that's that, what is a good song for you? Uh, it's, it's just, uh, something you feel I can't, uh, I can't put, it's not math- mathematics or <laughs> anything like that. Um, I mean, to be honest, all the songs, pretty much, I think actually all the songs that have turned into singles and and the songs that people are talking about nowadays and, and the songs that people are singing along to at the shows is the songs I felt like this is going to be a single when, when I wrote it. And also, I mean, songwriting, that's, it's interesting because you can, there's so many ways to do it. You could start with a, with a lyric or a riff or whatever, but, but the, those song, same songs that I talked about comes very easily. It's it's a bit it's a cliche now, but it's it's really true what Keith Richards always saying that there's a lot of music around in the air and you just gotta keep the antenna up and and hope for them to <laughs> come down, so to speak. So right, you know the, the the great ones are easy to write, but you can't I can't sit down and try to write them. They they appear when they do, and and then there's a lot of stuff that you can try to write, and and of course you come up with good stuff that way too, and a lot of shit stuff too. But uh, yeah, has your songwriting or approach to songwriting changed at all from Funko Metal Carpet Ride from from '89? You know, when you're looking at it, I guess 30 years later, are, are you the same writer? Are you writing from the same place or? Have you taken a completely different approach, or just maybe a maturity to to how you approach it? Much, you know, maturity. The, I think it's that thing. I mean, we were we were really young when we did all that stuff, and I, I think I pay a lot more attention to lyrics nowadays than I did in those days. And also, I mean, the climate at that at that time was really it was just you know party fun, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I think the lyrics are important, even if it's cliche. I mean, a song like Hangover and Hanover, but that we have on the new album, it's it's a you know just a funny title I came up with and wrote a song about it uh, around it. But I mean, it's still there's still a meaning behind it, and and I still go back to to something that has happened, and uh, you know, even the cliches needs to mean something if you see what I mean. And uh, and it's a lot of like, that stuff you wrote when you're young that you really can't feel nowadays, obviously. Yeah, and, and I, I particularly like uh, "Knocked Out" by Tyson, having been having been a Mike Tyson fan at at one point. Um, and I will I will finish with this today. Uh, in '92, you covered, of course, a King Kong song by ABBA. Um, <laughs> yeah. which, which I actually have in my iTunes. I, I, I tracked it down. It, it is a tremendously great version of it, but, uh, just talk to me about covering a band that is, is in a sense outside of your realm. I mean, you're, you're definitely a, a dirty rock and roll band. 
Uh, and of course, ABBA is a very slickly produced pop band. Um, what was it like just covering that song for the ABBA tribute album that, that came out back in 92? Well, the reason we picked that song to begin with is obviously not because it's the best songs they, the song they wrote. It's, uh, it was the only one that had a riff in it. <laughs> and, and, you know, like I mentioned before, everything, I, I've always felt that Sweden is a pop land. A pop pop country, and compared to like Finland, for instance, which is a lot more, they have the Hurricanes. I don't know if you know about them, and then Hard Rocks kept the tradition going, and and they have a a harder attitude in the music in some way. And Sweden was always that ABBA pop thing. So I think when we when we were pro, we were approached to to do do something for that album, we we wanted to make it harder. And that was the only song that we felt we could do. And it was funny because when the release party was, uh, um, we went there and uh, Bjorn and Benny was, was there. And the, and the only thing I can remember them saying was, oh shit, did you have to bring that song up again? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think they were too happy about it. But I'm sure that's one of those lyrically uh, thinking, those one of those songs that they felt like, oh shit, but boy, why? What were we thinking? You know, but but it was the only one with a with a riff. Yeah, but it came about. Yeah, listen, it's it's a fun song, and uh, you, you know, uh, I like your version. I think you did a, a great yeah, version. I think it turned out. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, might might be time to bring it back to the set just for for shit and giggles, as we say, just just for the fun of it. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Connie, always, always a pleasure. I know that uh, trying to get this interview set up was a little more uh, labor intensive than than it should have been. Our schedules have been, you know, trying to get European interviews done sometimes is is complicated because of all the things, but we got it done. I think it sounds great. Uh, Fans out there, do check out the Ghost Ward Diaries. It is available now. It's on all the streaming sites, but do yourself a favor buy the CD because physical is where it's at. You can hold it, you can read it, you can smell it, you can hear it. And that, my folks, is what a music experience should be about. And uh, Connie, as we say in Montreal, uh, merci beaucoup, or, or as you say in Sweden, tack, right? Tack, oh. skidahe, or is that, is that how we say it? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Well, my mom's Danish, so I got the tack from there. I don't know. I know. I know Danes and Swedes have a little bit of inflection stuff, and and uh, my mom would say Danes are better, and you're going to tell me that Swedes are better. I'm going to say both are great countries, but uh, there you go. Merci. It's difficult to understand for sure. Yeah, I know those Danes are are trouble. Uh, just yeah. Stop! Stop <laughs> coming to Malmo. Leave us alone. I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but merci. Thank you. Thank you so much. You Absolute know, pleasure. Yeah. Thank, thanks to you, Mitch. Always a pleasure. Merci. Have a good night. I know it's late there. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Rock Talk.